podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show. Good to have you with us, gang, in this week of all weeks because the wait Well, it's finally over week one of the NFL. Football is back and we are present and correct to get you set. What a week of episodes we've got lined up for you. Ben Isaac's in the house later on this week. We're going to check in with Propo as well. The very first edge rush of the season. Some exciting news about edge rush as well to announce. And we've got quite a lot of exciting news around the show that we're going to be drip feeding you over the course of of the coming weeks but nothing surely can be more exciting than the prospect of a brand new nfl season broken down in 60 minutes and change by the irrepressible iron mike carson my old partner in crime back for another season and we are ready to roll looking at the big stories the key contenders going into the 2023 season so we're going to roll up our sleeves and get straight down to business Carlson, this season, the 2023 season, is our 17th working together. God, it seems like it seems like just yesterday this little like- kid walked walked in the studio and said, Man, go. I don't know nothing. You gotta help me with this. And look where you've gone from there. From little, there. little kid. Uh is that <laughs> It feels like only 16 years to be. <laughs> well, look, that means if you were 16 and that was 17 years ago, you're 33 now. I'm, hang- I'm 30. He's 32. I'm hanging. I'm hanging. I'm hanging. I thought you were on. Yeah, I thought you you came in and they said, oh, this is a new host. I thought you were like on work experience. <laughs> That's why you treated me so badly. Huh? <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't go get the donuts. It was awful. Hey, Carlson, uh, you know what I've always said about you? You could have been a contender, kid. And that's what I want to that's what I want to concentrate on in today's episode as we preview the kickoff to the 2023 season. I want to deep dive and get oh. your insight into the contenders because I got a lot of questions and I know our gang have got a lot of questions. I know you're the man to answer them. So Yeah, I, I can't wait for the first week of the season, you know. So, I'm really infused. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, because this past weekend was like National Cream Puff Week, where all the college, where all the cal- colleges go out, and they, uh, you know, I hate to be from Tennessee. You know, Tennessee State lost fifty six three to Notre Dame. Tennessee Martin oh, lost forty eight seven to Georgia. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, Vanderbilt went out and re- re- uh, Alabama beat Middle Tennessee. <laughs> it's fifty six seven. Like Vanderbilt, this match going on here, yeah. Yeah, Vanderbilt redeemed the state's honor by beating Alabama A and M. That's an Alabama A and M. Well, look, we're, we're not concentrating on that much. I'd love to talk more about the Fighting Irish after our cracking trip to Dublin. No, that uh, looks like fun. That, it was a lot of fun. It was a whirlwind visit, but we're going to be back. We're going to be back next year. Looking forward to that. But the Fighting Irish, obviously, keeping them rolling. That's good to hear. But we're concentrating our attention on the NFL, of course, Carlson. Right. If we start with the big question around the apparent mismatches, as we're talking mismatches, mismatches, mismatches between the strength and depth in the AFC and in the NFC. I've been thinking about that a lot. The AFC is stacked. The NFC is slim pickings. But is there an argument to say that two of the strongest teams in the whole shebang, namely the Philadelphia Eagles and San Francisco 49ers, are maybe the top two teams right now in terms of strength and depth? Um, certainly in terms of strength and depth, the Eagles are 
the number one team in the NFL. No, no question about it. Um, I, I can understand why the Chiefs are the bookies' favorites, you know, still for the season because they have Patrick Mahomes, and that makes a huge difference. But they don't have Chris Jones at the moment, who you know is arguably almost as important as yep. as Mahomes, um, or as important as a non-quarterback can be to that team. Um, the Niners' strength and depth does it does it extend to the quarterback position? You know, mm-hmm. until we're sure about Brock Purdy's return, I'm not sure we can say that because the number two guy is Sam Darnold. You know, and and of course they lance Trey. So um, <laughs> um, let's do, let's talk about Brock Purdy for a minute. So we, we've gone there. Okay. Is, is the injury you're most concerned about, as in how quickly and how capably he can recover from it, or is there is it deeper than that? Have you not seen? It's enough? deeper than that. It's not quite the injury. It's simply that having had that great run, and now people have taped to look at him. Can they can they see things that that they might be able to take away? What now, do you see when you look at him? What I see is he's a great fit for Shanahan, and and you know. I don't want to rehash the whole. I, I did it in my um, Patreon column last week. If you want to go through the whole Trey Lance story, you know people nice can plan. go look there. But the basic thing was in the beginning, Shanahan wanted Mac Jones mm-hmm. and not Trey Lance, and and it was Lynch and and people in the front office who fell in fell in love with Lance. He doesn't need a mobile running quarterback to run that offense. He needs a quick processor, an accurate thrower. And you think of the people, you know, he he they ran. With Matt Ryan in in Atlanta, with Matt Schaub in in Houston, mm-hmm. and Brock Purdy fits that profile. You know, not at first glance as a as a top flight thrower, which is why he lasted till the seventh round in the draft. But once you watch him play, you see that that's yeah you know, that's the fit for Shanahan's offense. So he's Sam smart, Darnold, he's efficient, he's co- he, he's yeah. accurate. Yeah. And, you know, he will stand in um, in the rush and and in Shanahan's offense, quarterbacks will get hurt. Um, That's why Jimmy G was not such a great fit for them. Um, Now, Darnold, you know, on paper is a great quarterback, but his weakness is processing. You know, Darnold always kind of takes the wrong option and and tries to force the throw. So I'm not sure about that. And defensively, they lost a lot in the offseason. They picked up Javon Hargrave, which is, you know, which is huge in both senses of the word. Um, (laughs) And um, but I'm not sure how their secondary depth holds up. Um, I like them a lot. Um, They would they're certainly, I think, a a good bet. Um, Part of that is emotional in the sense that I thought, you know, they they should have. They they shoulda coulda woulda won that NFC Championship game last year had they mm. had Purdy, um, but but I think you're right in that either of them would be rated against any of the NFC contenders as a decent you know as a decent shot. There's certainly the, no yeah. run over possibility against and, any of the AFC you, contenders. You mean so? It, yeah, the it, AFC it, contenders. Yeah. And when you look at the AFC contenders. Mm. With a question mark of sorts over over Kansas City, mm-hmm. um, you know they've lost a bit of talent as well. And the biggest and, issue there is the receiving receiving core, right? Um, but you know Andy Andy for most of his career has survived without big names, and he was perfectly willing to let the latest of only two or three big names in his career go in terms of Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's content to you know survive with. Um, turning Kadarius Tony into the player he was supposed to be 
when he came out when he came out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be that's going to be a big thing for him. So I have a lot of faith in the, in in them. Um, I'm, I don't have as much faith as Buffalo in Buffalo, but um, but you know you've got five or six serious contenders in that conference, mm. maybe more, you know, uh, it's really hard to say who's going to win the, the central, I uh, sorry, the North, the, the AFC North. Yeah. Um, so what, just, know. just on the receiver point, cause that, that is fascinating. You were talking about this a lot last season that when you're looking at teams that are, have an edge, there are a whole gaggle of contending teams. The teams at the edge typically have variety and and depth in in key skill positions particularly a, a triple threat receiving core and that you can throw in a tight end into a receiver tandem or right. like a three you know and it's interesting that the chiefs sure Kadarius tony there's great upside sky Moore, there's there's great potential upside but it's a big ask even with reed even with mahomes the bills have a similar issue right strength and depth with receivers so these are two of the favorites in the afc and they both seem to have the same issue yeah, I mean, if if um, Shakir, what's his name, um, Shak- Khalil Shakir, um, with the Bills steps up because I liked him a lot too coming out of college. He was a fifth round draft pick, I think. Um, that would help them a lot. But they drafted Kincaid to take care of part of that problem. Right. Um, to give them a, they have two receiving tight ends basically. Knox is not really a. I don't know what we need to come up with a term for all around tight ends. You know, there's, there's like tight end a who's, who's all around B is a receiver and C is a blocker, you know? And, okay. and, and um, there aren't too many A's in the league right now, you know, legitimate A's like who's, who was on your list then all around good or solid all rounders. Um, Kittle is almost there. You know, in my mind, to be an A a tight end, a two solid two way tight end, you have to be able to block a defensive end. You have, you have to be able to block a guy the playing five five or well seven technique at least. You know, yeah. um, consistently. Not you know everyone can try it, and and I'm not saying these guys can't block. Lots of them give great effort. You know, um, Kelsey does, but you try not to put him in a position where he has to block somebody like that, where he's out where he's outmanned, mm-hmm. um, and. But with with Knox, with Knox and Kincaid, they can run from 12 formations and do a a pretty good job of of covering most of the most of the different layers of the of the passing game. And it's funny because you almost need, you know, we've done it with corners to an extent where you've got, you know, slot corners and outside corners. Now you've got man corners and zone corners. Um, And we need to do it with running backs because you've got like your a back nowadays is the guy who can both run the ball and line up as a receiver mm-hmm. and run from the slot or even wide out and run pass patterns like a receiver, the uh, Marshall Falk kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And your B guy now is what we used to think consider an A back, or we can switch the, the three A and back. B if you like, yeah. is yeah, uh, is a Derek Henry or mm-hmm. a Nick Chubb or a John Mixon, uh, well, you know, um, guys who who can carry the ball 25 30 times a game if you want and you can build your offense through them there aren't mm. many of those guys because henry's really the only pure one you know mm. chubb may, maybe jacobs is a pretty good receiver but that's a different category being a receiver out of the backfield i guess zeke it's, was but he's banged up you got mccaffrey was in carolina well see carolina never used mccaffrey right the, mm. You know the difference they used it between, too much. They lean, lean on it too much, right? They used him as a, as a B back, as a as a lead back yeah. when when he's a complementary. You know, the difference was they they threw him 
97 screen passes a game and everybody knew they're going to throw 97 screen passes a game and they ran him between the tackles all the time straight on you know and that wasn't going to he gets to san francisco now he's running you know he's making one cut runs as in this as in a shanahan offense he's lining up at wide receiver he's lining up in the slot um debo's lining up in the backfield and and this is the dream now of of most modern offenses is the interchangeability of these guys because when when you do that you pressure the defense to make a decision you know it, it breaks it breaks the it breaks the um the guide the rules of their of their defensive pass. Okay, I'm guard, I'm guarding this guy man to man. Whoops, he just moved in the backfield. Do I still take him? Oh, McCaffrey's come out and taken his place. Yeah. Does the linebacker who's got McCaffrey out of the backfield now line up as a defensive back? And, and the mismatch shift? is that because Andy Reid's the master of that, isn't he? And particularly with mixing up completely different styles of player into different positions. I remember yeah. Belichick, Belichick talked about that, didn't he? Really eloquently saying, you, you've just got it's so difficult to defend against because. You're gonna have Tyreek Hill here one minute, here the next. You're gonna yeah. have Kelsey here one minute, here the next. In basically doing the same thing on yeah. su- successive and, plays, and that's why he drafted Hardman. You know, originally it was kind of like right. he he sort of knew he'd lose Tyreek Hill at some point to free agency, most likely. So Hardman was supposed to be more or less the next Tyreek Hill, but he's not really the downfield receiver that Hill is. But they they still wanted to use him in that kind of those variety of roles. You're absolutely right. It's it's the modern game, and you know, um, old fashioned teams are having a you know actually the only advantage they get is that teams now seem to scheme for the modern game. And if if you go old school, you know, like the Patriots said, <laughs> in, last year under Matt Patricia, you know. Is running you run the ball three times up the middle because you yeah. see you're seeing a light box, a double um, bluff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fight and, four tight ends and run the ball. Yeah. I wrote, times again. I wrote about this because I did the AFC preview along with Trey Lance last last week, and you know, two if plugs you, in the first twenty minutes, Carson. Yeah, I'm I'm plug crazy here. Yeah, yeah. Um, the but you know if you look at the Patriots season and you take away the game they lost because Jacoby Myers, you know, threw a. 40 yard lateral on the last play of the game. Mm. Um, and and you look at when they had um was it Cincinnati they were about to beat um and they ran the ball four times inside the five and Stevenson fumbled the fourth yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, you know, so right. they lost they lost that game. You know, it's 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 those little, little things. It was a great Richard Why Sherman. Not? Have you seen have you seen Richard Sherman on Skip? Skip Bale, what used well, to be Skip Bale's show. Me a message. You've, listeners will love this. Carlson sent me a, sent me a message last week suggesting that he might feel sorry for Skip Bayless. I never, <laughs> never thought I'd hear that. Never thought, never thought that would happen. But um, after the scream fest of the first one, when they had, you know, both Keyshawn and Michael Irvin, and yeah. I felt sorry for Skip Bayless because he was sitting in the seat next to Michael Irvin and Michael Irvin wasn't we slapping know, him on the thigh like he did with that. me. Yeah. And, um, yeah. but then he had Sherman was talking about Belichick and, you know, saying he's lost it, which is an argument nowadays. Um, and um, nonsense, nonsense. he said, you know, if any other coach had put an old retread defensive coordinator and failed head coach as his offensive coordinator and a retread special teams coach and failed head coach as his quarterback coach, you would have called him crazy. But because it's Belichick, everybody said, oh, he's got a plan, you know. And, and the fact they were Belichick lieutenant, erstwhile Belichick lieutenants as well. I mean, it wasn't like completely an arbitrary Oh, no, that's, we, that's why he did it. But then mm. that doesn't change the character, especially when you've got a second-year quarterback 
mm. coming off a coddled rookie season, which was sure. you know good but not great. Um, you know, you, you need you need some you need some help. But then that now takes it, us back. That- you know, look, look one more one more interjection before you proceed <laughs> with your show. Um, um, everybody was, including me, was screaming. You know, Belichick Belichick released Bailey Zappi. Yep. And Malik, Malik Cunningham, who were the only two quarterbacks besides Jones on his roster. And then they signed um, Matt Corral. And then everybody realized that last year, the the Panthers traded with New England to move up to draft Matt Corral. And with the two draft picks, the Patriots took Zappi and um, they took Pierre Strong that year and Zappi last year. Um, and then Belichick's Belichick gets Matt Corral anyway for free, <laughs> but, but he's released both the other guys. So we say, Oh, look at how smart he was, but he's released the other two guys. It's getting way so, too better. Know. That's way too complicated for me at this time in the morning. Uh, yeah. I was going to lead on, cause you mentioned second year quarterbacks, just one more on, on San Francisco, the drafting of Jake Moody, the kicker in the third round, which got a lot of attention right. at the time, of course. And if we're talking about the game changing, you've just outlined how so much offensively has changed in the last decade or so has the importance and the well rather the value placed in kickers change for san francisco to draft a kicker in the third round and the argument of course the the apologist for that decision saying well so many games are so tight and he's the best in the business and he's a generational talent and the critics scoffing saying it's ridiculous so much strength and depth later on in the draft what do you make of the pick and what do you think it tells us about if the game is changing or not yeah, I, I, the game's not changing that much. Very few kickers have ever gone really high. Um, Oakland took Sebastian Janikowski, and, and I think they might have taken... Um, Blankenship went uh, high, didn't he? He got drafted quite high. The, yeah, and Aguayo went in the second yeah. round to Tampa, and look where that went. Look where that yeah. went. They might have even taken, um, um, what, what's his name, um, Hannibal Lecter in the um, same draft high Oakland that, that they got Janikowski. Same Lecler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, basically what you might call generational kickers, team with a need for a kicker and sees a really good one might take them high. Right now, fourth and fifth round are about the highest anyone's gone in the past mm-hmm. few years, apart from Aguayo. Um The Patriots then jumped up to take kicker in the fifth round, sorry, in the fourth round, yeah, and um, um, didn't draft Dewan Jones, who was still on the board, the big, mm. the huge offensive tackle from Ohio State who went to Cleveland. Um, but I think basically the idea that kickers are fungible is pretty true. Um, you know, I do my cock-up rating of kickers every year, mm-hmm. and there aren't many guys who consistently are in the top five or even 10 year by year. Tucker's usually in there. He's rarely at the very top, but he's mm. usually in there. Gano has been in there for about four or five of the last five years, but, but they tend to go up and down. You know, it's, it's a, it only takes one or two misses to drop you quite, quite a ways down in, in, mm-hmm. in kicking terms. And so they're basically fungible in most mm. teams. I, I think San Francisco's move was not so much dissatisfaction with Gould as simply a financial one. They now yes. get the kicker on a rookie contract, and Gould was up. You know, very good kicker, longtime veteran was going. You know, was he going wanted to... out anyway, didn't he? Yeah, he wanted. Yeah. So okay, yeah. other contenders. We we talked a bit top line about the, the perceived weaknesses or potential weaknesses for for some of the contenders. The Jets 
everybody's saying it, it's the O-line. <laughs> I knew you were going to start with the Jets. <laughs> the O-line, how big a problem is it, first of all? for the It's team? a huge problem um, because Becton's played one game in two years. And, you know, he's there. Um, he's pretty good when he's there. Um, but to expect him to get through the season is 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 really a, a long shot, I think. Mm. Um, and um, uh, what's his name from um, um, Seattle on, on the Dwayne Dwayne Brown is um, he's thirty eight. He's been hurt a lot, so you know he, he's he. I mean, he's the kind of guy who gets hurt and comes back two weeks later and plays. You know, oh, I'm <laughs> yeah. fine now, but he's playing, he plays yeah. he plays hurt. He's a very talented guy from Houston, Houston's where he started, right? And then he went to... Um, so what they're thinking, the, the Jets, they make this big play for one of the great quarterbacks of all time. They surround him with pieces, but the protection is to everybody looking on, high-stakes poker, high-risk poker. So what, what's their game plan? Or is this- what they're thinking is, if you watch... If you watch um, if you watch Rodgers over the years, and, and uh, yeah, their, their offensive line coach is Keith Carter. He's, he's a first-year open offensive line coach for them. Um, Just to add to the fun. Okay. Yeah. He's a great but improviser. Look at all the years. to pay Each year, the Packers would – they had one – well, they've, they've had a couple. Corey Lindsay was a really good center before they lost him. They've had Bakhtiari, Bakhtiari. you know, for years, um, but he's hurt all the time as well. Um, and then what's his name who looked like Curly from the Three Stooges was the right tackle. Um, and uh, he was hurt a lot too. But but Rodgers made them better. They're thinking they can get by without top quality tackles. Now the question is how much below top quality do you, do you go? And um and the other question is, does Rodgers really want to do that? And the answer to that is probably yeah, he doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care. <laughs> He's going to run his his offense any anyway. Um, but you know, he may not be the only guy who's been drinking the ayahuasca over there in the in the Meadowlands. <laughs> Shared a bit with Robert Sala. The other, yeah, thing- but I I think that's a really it's a really good point. You know, there's a lot of things that have to go right for the Jets, um, and the defense would really has to play well. I mean. If they if their defense plays as well as they look like they should be able to play on paper, it's a real test for Robert Sala. You know, is he really a defensive guru? You know, um, is he really a leader of men? You know, it, it's kind of like the same test that that um, um, D'Amico Ryan's is going to get in, in Houston. You know, this year, uh, first year. Is, you know, is there this thing with San Francisco defensive coordinators? You know. Um, and Ryan's, I think, is going. I think Houston could surprise people if CJ Stroud. But what I was talking about with the Shannon Clan offenses, because mm-hmm. they're going to run, they've got Bobby Slowick, the Nepo defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. Um, you know, if I think what's going to happen there is Stroud fits that profile, he's extremely accurate. You know, if he can play under center, which he never had to do at, at Ohio State. Um, I think he he'll he'll be really good, you know. Um, Sneaky, and the odd part, offensive rookie of the year. You think we'll talk to all about that uh, with all about that on Edge Rush on Friday, maybe? Yeah, you probably need you probably need more. Well, having said that, my dark horse or my you know outside bet favorite for offensive rookie of the year would be Jordan Addison. Um, that is an absolute, that is a reach. But yeah, yeah, and okay. that's that's dark. That's dark horse as well. It's like eighty to one, probably. Just back to the Jets for a minute. Uh, and you mentioned Salah's going to be put to the test, not least because of the the schedule they've got. So when we're looking top line at the Jets' biggest challenges, it's the offensive line 
and it, and it's the schedule in totality, but the start as well, knowing how things can go with Rogers, right? So opening the season against Buffalo, they've got Dallas, more of them in a minute. New England, Kansas City, Denver and Philly before the bye week, right? So there is a very realistic chance that they could be going into that bye with a losing record. And there is a oh, yeah. reasonable chance yeah. they could I mean, be, they could I mean, be like... Two, well, right now, I'd say two and three. Two, two, two and three. If they win... And, and the New England game to me is not a gimme. Um, well, there's like, six like games you, here. So Buffalo, Dallas, New England, Kansas City, Denver and Philly. If they were to okay, go two, into the bye... Two, two and four. <laughs> Four, or yeah, or or even one and five, which isn't the crazy. I mean, it's possible, right? No, it's possible. Is there a massive chance of implosion here, knowing how? Uh, gee, I don't know. You'll have be. to ask the New York Post about that. Well, well right, but you joke, <laughs> you joke. But it's it's New, it's New York. It's the hardest, probably yeah. amongst. Yeah, the I mean, I mean, the, what Approaches what's what, what's the they they're good defense. They're they're really good defense. They've got um they've got weapons for Rogers, uh Garrett Wilson, uh Cook, Dalvin Cook, uh Brees Hall if he's healthy, yeah, um, and can play. The line is question mark. The big question mark, of course, is Rogers. And now you have a Rogers with a chip on his shoulder, which he's had for <laughs> 15 years. <laughs> I don't know. So we have but Rogers. but also with something to prove. Um, you know, this is Tom Brady going to Tampa. Only I'd argue that the Tampa team he went to was a more loaded team than the Jets. Yeah. You know, they were they were a team that was really ready to win. Um, and the Jets will have a tough path. It's a tough division. Miami will be better. New England couldn't be much worse. You know, that's the other thing. New England could be much worse, but they did finish eight and nine last year, right? right. With with a terrible, you know, I, a, a terrible eight and nine. But I'm quite it was big eight on wins. I'm quite big on them being much more competitive than many people are giving them the yeah. credit for because they typically are, right? I mean, and for a little bit like Pittsburgh, more of them in a minute as well. That Pittsburgh were not exactly great shakes last season, still managed to land a, a winning record. On just quickly as you tan, we've gone on a tangent to the Patriots for for a moment, and the AFC is a collective. Who do you see winning the division, and where do you see the well, Patriots I think, in the mix? I don't. I don't think you can write off Buffalo. Hmm. Um, Miami. I think Miami is. They've had a little bit of bad luck already losing Jalen Ramsey. You yeah. know, but they they've rebounded from that. Vic Fangio. I've got a huge amount of respect for. They're going to be a completely different defensive team because they were a risk-taking blitz crazy team and Fangio plays a very kind of controlling uh three four three four front. Think about like Dom Perno or um Dom Penders, I mean Dom Perno was a basketball coach and basketball yeah. player. Um and um uh Jim Mora, you know, that kind of defense. Playoffs. And offensive offensively they'll you know they'll be as good as as the run game, which Strangely enough, in a 49ers style offense, they got away from quite a bit last year. I think Jeff Wilson is hurt right now, but you know, they drafted a guy who's a perfect fit um for the um A chain. <laughs> that, that's what I call him now. But um A chain is a perfect fit for that running system. And how long can you keep Tua healthy? Because I mean, this is not just an injury situation. If Tua has another concussion, he could be gone for the career. Yeah. You know, the question is going to be how long does he want to keep playing and risking that, you know? So they've been working um, on that, uh, understandably, in the in the offseason. Yeah. The Dolphins, in terms of his strength training, in terms of his 
learning how to take a, a hit in a way that's going to minimize the chance of concussion. That's something that they, they've been looking at. A little bit like, of course, when when teams brought in uh, sliding coaches from baseball to, to teach quarterbacks how to slide, a kind of version yeah. of that too has gone through, right? Yeah, I mean, if you've got concussions in your butt, then a sliding coach will do you a lot of good. But but <laughs> yeah, that's... I, um... <laughs> I don't think that that's medically where they are held, Carson. But in all seriousness, because it, it is a serious issue. It is. It's a, I think it's a huge issue. Is what no, concussion is two are done? Is that what we're talking about here? It's I mean, possible. I'm, I, you can't guarantee that. You know, and look at the way they ignored the concussion last year, you know, mm-hmm. a very serious one. And obviously he, like, most players wants to play um you know if it's it's all possible but but you have to understand that by doing that you may be really risking your your mental health relatively early you know not like waiting till you're 80 and going into dementia but early early onset dementia so i think that'll be a you know everybody's talking about it but nobody's really facing the reality there that that you know like we we always say this guy's one injury away from ending his career but when it's concussion you know, he could he could not end his career this season, but he could miss the better part of two or three games. You know, if if he gets smaller concussions and they're spaced three, four games apart, you know, he comes back, he gets another one, he comes back. But he's got to start considering that, too, because what we know from the studies that have been done, it's not the huge impact hits that you know are the the real cause of cte it's the constant repeatable smaller shocks to the brain um and so he's got to consider that as well i think i think he's a very iffy iffy consideration i think if he is healthy and stay stays that way you know the dolphins could you know really contend with the bills because i also think the bills are not necessarily better than they were last year yeah 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 the um the question i've been kicking around in my head on on tour and i'm I'm not sure where I land on on this and whether I think it is a reasonable thing to consider of of, of professional athletes, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it. We know, and Greg Williams and Bountygate was certainly the the most memorable example of this, and certainly the, in terms of getting rumbled for it. But we, it's a brutal game. We know this. We know it is a physical game, and by any means necessary to succeed in many cases certainly we know if we look at a precedent if a player is carrying an injury say a player has had a banged up hand or the opposition defense knows about a certain injury they'll key in on that they'll target that take him out of the game aim for that bad knee we'll go for that we'll try and knock him out of the game is there any chance that defenses are thinking that about two or do you think oh yeah oh yeah no one will say it they don't have to you know um and it's not that you want to um you, you want to permanently hurt the guy or something like that but they'll know that he's vulnerable you know if if two sacks if and so you say you try to sack him you try to hit him hard you try to hit him a little bit late when he's rela- you know when the quarterback's more relaxed and, and you you can you can bang him you can bang him better i think that as you said that's the game um there may be a few guys out there who you know know that they can if you lay him out you know, you could be you you could lose him for at least that game. So it's a big advantage to you. Um, and you're absolutely right that people target injuries they know. Um, you know, which is why some teams lie on the injury reports about the nature of the injury a player a player is suffering. Right. Okay. On to the Bengals. Defense, I guess, and particularly the secondary is very different year on year, but they have one of the 
best defensive coordinators in in the game right now. So mm-hmm. how much do you think Luana Roma can could offset the the obvious regression with his with his personnel in the secondary specifically and put a competitive defense on the field, particularly is in the last couple of years when they have been contenders, he's done it with certainly the first year in the Super Bowl run, did it with a, a collection of players and personnel that maybe weren't getting the headlines, maybe weren't the big shiny stars, and yet he still put together one of the, the stronger defenses in the NFL. So can he repeat the trick? You have confidence that he will manage to level it out. Yeah, I really liked their draft, and, and it went on defense. You know, Murphy was the edge rusher, um, which they needed. Um, Turner was the the cornerback who could play inside or outside, probably, you know, like a, a woozy. And Battle from, I thought, was a real bargain in the third round at, at safety. Mm. Um, you know, because they let both their safeties go. And, right. Um, you know, and, and they were one of the best pairs in the NFL. Um, and they had drafted previously to allow allow for one of them going. So they needed, I'm just looking right now just to see where the, um, you know, they picked up Nick Scott, who I liked an awful lot. He was a, like a, a seventh round pick that the Rams, as they do, brought in and, and actually played pretty well. But I, I don't doubt that Battle will, will probably pass him at some point. Dax, Dax Hill's the free safety and he looks like he could be pretty good. I, I think more, Lou Anarumo is, a really smart coordinator. He and he adjusts really well to the teams that they're playing, which is you know, there's there's, there's two ways to in football to do. You know, one is you do the same thing all the time and you just execute really well and may force other teams to do. That. And the other one is you adjust, um, you know, to to what you're what you're facing. And he's very good at at, at the latter in partic- in particular. To me, the the question for them really is: Does, does the offensive line click? You know, and mm. does Burrow does Burrow um, stay healthy all all season? Um, you know, he seems to always be hurt in preseason. You know, although appendicitis last year isn't really an injury, but you know, um, and also, you know, do, how do they re, how do they replace um, how how do they replace the key players if any of them get hurt? They were lucky to keep Mixon. Um, you know, and he took less money, and that's another long, sh- long debate we can have later on, or a long, on the running back, the economics of being a running back in the in the NFL. Um, but Perine, Perine is gone, mm-hmm. so they need, you know, they need to have have a backup and back. And they they have the three receivers, you know, big three, but they don't really have a big four, mm-hmm. um, and and that's a question. So, um, I think Cincinnati have to stay the favorites in a dark horse bet for the to get to the Super Bowl because I think if they come in if they come into stride like like they have done in the past couple of years they obviously they're in there with a real shot um but that's a tough that's going to be a tough division to get out of yeah um and there's question marks I think over over Baltimore um will their offense be better? with Todd Monken as coordinator, which I think it will be. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson will be more effective. Why? Is there all, is there all, because Monken's going to give him more variety. The, the, the thing, the same thing happened with Greg Roman in Baltimore as happened with him in San Francisco when they had Colin Kaepernick initial boom. And then because there wasn't enough variety, teams made it harder and harder for them to work their whole offense, you know? And, and if you think about San Francisco in those days, they, they couldn't get the receiving mix right 
for Kaepernick, just like they didn't really get the receiving Knicks right under Roman for Jackson. Mm. You know, now I think that includes investing in a receiving mix in the first. Yeah, the and first guys, place, right? and, and and either fitting the system to the guys you get or fitting the guys you get to the system. But I'm not sure that that was. You know, it looked on paper like like you know Bateman was going to be an answer and Hollywood Brown was going to be an answer. I think Bateman still might. Might be really good. I think Zay Flowers is going to be very good with Munkin because he's he's going to catch a lot of passes and probably see a lot of them in space. Um, what about Beckham? And, Big year for Beckham in that system, do you think? If everything goes right for them, if uh, he could have a good year. I, I don't think he's going to be a you know mon- a monster year. Um, is it like LA where he's a key a key role player, clutch situations? How how quick is he after the knee? That's the question. Because what they did in L.A., what McVeigh did was was to to use him as a sneaky deep threat when you were looking at other options. And then Beckham was there, and and even after he became the nominal number one guy, he was still really good there before the before the knee went out. So will he be as you know will he be as effective um, in that offense? And Andrews, of course, is a, is a good. Almost a good both way tight end. But, oh, know, he's so, almost back to your yeah, right. A really good pass catcher, and then you know the Browns depends on whether they've been able to massage the rust off of um, Deshaun Watson, um, and um, you know Chubb is Chubb is great. Kareem Hunt, they don't they don't miss. I'm I'm just looking now to see, um, you I'm not sure who's actually going to be the number two there, if it's Ford or or maybe Felton. But, um, you know, they they could tear things up because they've got weapons and Joku's really good receiving tight end um, ought to fit what what they want to do. And they've gone out and got a lot of help for Miles Garrett. And people think, okay, you've got to get a second edge rusher, you know, to make him more effective. But really picking up Tomlinson was, was actually a better move because if you get a guy who's a disruptor and a two gapper in the, in the inside, you're, you're strengthening the chances that your outside guys is going to get single single blocked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that ought to be a positive for them. They've needed, I think they've rebuilt their secondary pretty well, and and um, Wood Wood is is gone. Joe Wood is gone, so they they might be better there too. And, and Pittsburgh hearing, is yeah, a real dark right, horse. Let's let's get into that because I think they're. I agree with you. I think they are going sneaky underrated. Uh, they are. They were my dark horse pick when I was catching up with Ben a few weeks back on for the season. There's a little buzz in, in that category. I think you've got to talk about a team that didn't make the playoffs that that has a viable chance of making the playoffs and buzz about yeah. Atlanta and I'll, what you'll take on them in a minute. But Pittsburgh was my, my pick, Mike, because well, offensively there's a, there's a huge amount around a quarterback that will inevitably improve year on year. Tomlin is one of the most underrated coaches in the NFL right now. As we said earlier on the show, they went nine and eight with a kind of season. So yeah. Lo- love the Steelers as a deep dive. Why are you big on him? What's your take? Um, Tomlin's part of the reason. And I think you're absolutely right. He's underrated, you know, because that consistency, he knows that he knows they're not going to make big free agency moves. He knows they're going to develop players, you know, from within, bring them along. He knows the scouting system is going to find, you know, decent players and they come to play every week. Now, people are overrating them, I think, a bit at the moment because they came to play in the preseason you know they were ready for the exhibition games from week one and i think that was smart because they really needed to 
keep keep picking on his role, basically. You know, um, not not determine whether he was a flute, but just you're the starter. Here's what we're going to do. So the first unit was out there playing at the beginning of every one of those three three um, preseason games. And, you know, defensively, they're really strong. You know, they've got a couple of the best players in the league, Minka Fitzpatrick and and. TJ Watt. TJ coming back, of course. I mean, they did they did the nine yeah. eight without him for for a yeah bunch of for much of the year. And Highsmith, you know, people say, oh, Highsmith had it easy because he had TJ Watt on the other side. Well, he didn't for most most of the season. Hmm. You know, they're strong inside. They they drafted well, at least from preseason. You know, they they Herbig looks like he's another TJ Watt type um, of linebacker, and their offensive line never looks particularly good but it's solid and and experienced now and and so i i think it's a tough division it's it, classically it's a division where everybody goes three and three and it's your your yeah, outside sure. the division schedule that makes the difference and they're outside the division schedule is a little bit easier than cincinnati's is um so you know i, yeah, I think the, the steelers a, are, are a good dark horse as opposed to say the chargers mm-hmm. who look like they're a dark horse but they do that every year. Everybody's every, hips to pick every, every year. year. They, yeah, right. Yeah. You're not, and every you're not year they let, they let you down. So sooner or later, you have to be right. But, <laughs> sure. It's, you know, we talk about depth in terms of viable contenders for, for a, a deep playoff run in the AFC and the, the, how stacked the, the conference is. But it is also with those teams like Pittsburgh, like uh, the Cleveland Browns. There's just so much depth across the board. There are very few weak, to really weak, tangibly weak teams in, in the AFC. In the NFC, well, far far more, right, and less uh, top yeah, top the, tier. The talent. AFC, yeah, the AFC South has Jacksonville, yeah, and you, Tank Bigsby. I I'm waiting for the Tank, you know, and Ridley. You know, they're getting Ridley. Yeah. It's like having a first round draft pick, you know, who's ready to play, you know. So they got they're going to have Ridley, you know, and the Tank. Um, added added to their receiving receiving core. There's a lot of buzz and, about Jacksonville. Are you buying him? Are you buying him as a I, as a playoff? I'm team? not. I'm not totally convinced. Um, and part part of the reason is I'm not sure about their offensive line. Um, I think Lawrence is ready to make to make the next step up. And I think defensively, um, they need a couple of guys to play up to their perceived level. Mm. Um. Allen being one of them, Lloyd, the the linebacker who I liked a lot coming out of college, you know, but um, needs to play needs to play a bit better. But they'll win that division, you know, unless the Tennessee South, the outlier, unless your... unless Tennessee kind of grinds it out yeah, and wins with a nine and eight record or five tight end two running back. The, but that's that's the point is that the only division really that is that you would define as particularly weak or certainly the weakest in the AFC is the South. And even then, you know, in the, there's some maverick elements to them. Jacksonville, we think could be a playoff team. Indy and Houston are not very good, but Houston Houston could surprise. Houston's going to, like I said a bit bit before, I think Houston could surprise a few teams along the way. And I think they'll, they'll play hard. The NFC South on the other hand is a real, is a real mess. Um, you know, and and the weird part is you can look around the league and if you made a list of like the teams that are starting rookie quarterbacks and the teams that are starting might as well be rookie quarterbacks, you know, like Sam Howell or Desmond Ritter in Atlanta, mm. um, even even Jordan Love in Green, Green Bay, you know, mm. is not really, you know, he's not really a veteran quarterback. Now, let's get let, two things there. Uh, there's so much to, to talk about, obviously, with your cast and not enough time. But I wanted to get your take on the, on the Falcons. As I said, Ben, 
has picked them as his sleeper pick. So a team wasn't in playoff or in the playoffs or even in contention last year feels they could make a, a run for it. It all depends surely on Desmond Ridder's performance in terms of nobody, I think, is expecting him to make a shot for MVP. But if he can be that type of capable, steady, game-managing kind of quarterback, given the weapons he's got around him, that offense is going to hum, isn't it? Hum might be the wrong word. Um, they do have weapons. B.J. Robinson is another, weapons. Is, is another Yeah, and, and what it looks like to me is – you know, if it's if it's the Arthur Smith offense, you're talking you're talking two tight ends, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, play action pass, whatever. I think you're going to see a lot more moving toward a more kind of either RPO or even Shanahan style offense. And what Arthur Smith is going to do is he's got all these interchangeable parts, and it's like what I was talking. Pitts isn't a tight end. Mm. It's just a big wide receiver, receiver. Yeah, sure. you know, but if you line him up at tight end, people say, oh, he looks like a tight end. So we better cover him like a tight end. You know, mm. Drake London is the other way around. He's a he's a wide receiver, but he looks like a tight end, too. <laughs> Cordero Patterson is a wide receiver. But sure he's, playing, he's, he's playing running <laughs> yeah. back, you know, um, which was another Belichick thing. Belichick was the first guy to use him as a running back. And mm-hmm. then you got Bijan and, and mm-hmm. um, al- allergy, um, <laughs> um, you know, so you. It's weird that a team with like two guys who have gained eight or nine hundred yards each, you know, at running back draft another running back. But BJ and Robinson, you can line up at wide receiver. Well, the way you're defining it, Carson, it sounds like they're going to harm. I mean, that sounds. I mean, they they could, they could. I'm not convinced. Again, another team whose offensive line doesn't really convince Mm me, Um, and a lot will depend on what they do um, as to how effective those guys those guys can be. They're not really a run. They're not really like a road grading running line like like Tennessee's is or was. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then on the other side of the ball, they've got they've got questions, but everybody is. New Orleans is probably my favorite in that division, but New Orleans has offensive questions where but their defense is still pretty solid. Um, and Dennis Allen usually rolls out a decent defense for them. Had a big, had a, a, I was about to say a big upgrade at quarterback, but a solid upgrade at quarterback. I mean, so they're your sleeper pick, then the Saints, because they would qualify. Yeah, the Saints could be a, could be a sleeper pick. Although if I were picking one that wasn't in the the playoffs, I'd probably say Green Bay. Oh, okay. Uh, from from the NFC, really the running water, Carson. I know you have. And that's back. yeah. We yeah. it feels like everyone's sleeping on the Packers. So t- talk us through why you think Green Bay because the schedule schedule straightforward enough, isn't it? Yeah. Them? And I think, Jordan, you know, that division, all the games in the division are winnable for them. I think they're all winnable for the Lions, too. I don't think the Bears or Vikings are going to be that good, although the the Bears will probably be better than last year. and The Vikings won't be any better, which means they're not going to come up with a 13-win season or whatever um, out of what they are. But if Love plays at a reasonable level, which I think he can, in mm-hmm. Matt LaFleur's offense, which is now Matt LaFleur's offense and not Aaron Rodgers' offense, I think the Packers have enough talent to be really good, um, you know, and to win to win that division. And once once you win your division, you're in the playoffs, you know. Then anything can can really happen. I, what I do we know about love? What do we know about, about love, Detroit? Though? Before but, we get to Detroit, but what do we know about love? Like, what, we haven't seen much of him. But he's been well, sitting there for three years. Yeah. I think when he was first put in, in in occasional games, he was in over his head, partly because. As I said, it was Rogers' offense and Rogers' team, and he probably wasn't, you know, he would maybe have been even a little, little intimidated. 
but he looks like the guy they drafted, you know, who's who's got a pretty accurate arm, pretty strong arm, can stand in in the pocket. Um, and I think that I think that with the two running backs they have, with the young receivers that Rogers thumbed his nose at, um, I think Watson and, and Dubs could both be, you know, good in their second years. You know, be be threats in their second years. So I guess they might be a bit they, liberated as well with the, the I mean, the pressure yeah. in the first game. Of last yeah, season. a lot of pressure goes off you. You know, it's yeah. it's kind of like Tom Brady, but Brady didn't really do the the whole like throw you under the bus looks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> eye rolling yeah. is. Uh, you know, but Brady would only throw to guys he trusted. You know, if he if he didn't trust you, he wouldn't throw to you. And that kind of hurt them a lot in the last years when they didn't have such a strong receiving core. Um, Mike, you know, the whole backup sitting underneath the, if not the the master in the case of Rogers with Favre, then the consummate pro in the case of Mahomes and Alex Smith. And clearly in both of those examples, it paid off, right? The, the, successor yeah. had a, had a solid career but uh, there seems to be now for god for years a drive to get the rookie in as quickly as possible right so this is a, a, a an unorthodox situation for the modern nfl having a first rounder albeit a controversial one that's been sitting on the bench yeah. for, for three years yeah and and we know the reason why because of uh, a good quarterback on his rookie contract is the most money-saving value that you can have in the nfl um, yeah. you know, and loves in his fourth year. So they're going to have to make a decision on him at the end of the season, whether, you know, how they, ha- how they handle that. And, um, do you think it benefits a quarterback? I guess it obviously depends case by case, but do you think that there is an argument to say because of the, the, the fiscal side of it, that's why they get thrown in so quickly, but actually a lot of coaches would rather they sat for, for a while anyway, or was three years too much? No, the good- problem, the, the problem is that love, unlike most first round quarterbacks and Rogers was the same um, was going into a good team. Yeah. Now, usually when it's a good team, they have a good quarterback, which means you're not going to play by definition. Most first round picks go into bad teams. And so they're, if they sit, they're nece- they're probably watching a bad situation and not necessarily learning from it. And then when they get put in, they're often in a kind of run for your life situation where they don't learn good habits because you're, you're being overmanned. And that's, that's kind of like the classic, you know, look at the rookie seasons. A lot of quarterbacks had that were really bad and went on to be great quarterbacks, mm-hmm. you know, and really great quarterbacks like Peyton Manning say didn't have a great season. He had a kind of journeyman acceptable season, but he was a rookie playing on a bad team. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the team got better around him, he, he, you know, he was Peyton Manning. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the situation here. I People talking about the Jets, so my my theme for the AFC East preview was the deja vu division. Because mm-hmm. people forget, you know, what when the Jets brought in their last savior quarterback from Green Bay, what happened? <laughs> but, but, but this year, nobody seems to even think about it. Oh, yeah. Brett Favre, he played for the Jets, but didn't he? Actually made that. It's unbelievable how little that... That is yeah, the and the highlight of the highlight of his career in in New Jersey was um, using a, a copy machine to send, or using his phone to send oh, pictures. Yeah, to send, you know. Interesting choice of pictures. That <laughs> that he broke. Yeah, the story broke. Broke the deal. Broke when we were doing the um, and that's memory is failing me now. The first, the second year of us working together, coming full circle 
on the show when we did our preseason trip to Albany in Boston. That's um, right. Yeah, that was yeah. that was when when, when Tom Coughlin <laughs> came at you. <laughs> the Coughlin. Oh, yeah. The Coughlin, Coughlin yeah. gate. Speaking speaking of Alex Smith, my old broadcast partner on BBC. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Work with him yeah. once. Do you remember you know, th- yeah. did you see that Utah beat Florida? Yes. In, Oh, he's a Utah one. quarterback, wasn't he, back in the And he was a Utah quarterback with Urban Meyer. And this was a revenge game for them because in 2008, they went undefeated. They beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, and they weren't the national champions. Florida were the national champions because they weren't picked for the for the um, FBS right. Bowl game. So, you know, even though they went undefeated, they weren't the, the national champions. So that was the revenge game for them. And for Florida, this was the first road game outside of the state of Florida with a non-conference opponent. Okay. So if you take games, mm-hmm. they didn't have to, have to play because it's a conference opponent. It was their first road game outside of the state of Florida since 1991. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, talk about, I talk about national cupcake week. Yeah. Um, now Utah's no cupcake, obviously, but, but whatever they decided to, um, to do that. I'm going to dive into the mailbag to wrap things up and okay. get into a few more key points. Uh, courtesy of our fantastic listeners. Uh, I'll get it to Insta because you can message us on Instagram as well, by the way. A lot of you get in touch on Twitter at the NC Show, but on Insta, uh, threads, and I might love to threads. <laughs> We're on TikTok as well, uh, Facebook too. So you can fire in questions on any of those platforms and Seb, Andy and the crew will pick them up. Uh, this is from Jez. Hey, Jez, can Trey Lance deliver in the NFL? And who gained the most from the 49ers trade with the Cowboys? Haven't we talked about the Cowboys? They're the other team, I think, in the in the NFC. That well, I- the Cowboys are the third best team in the right. NFC, as far as I can I can tell on paper, you know, at the beginning of the season. So, yeah. yeah they're, 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 use them situate use Traylon situation. Is that your theory? They could. They could gadget play him occasionally. Yeah. But, but I think he's basically there to learn. You know, uh, as I said, I, I think there was some controversy within the 49ers front. Oh, I know there was. I mean, that's mm. been uh, I'm not sure that Shanahan was ever fully bought into him as their quarterback. And mm. maybe he just couldn't get with the system. You know, when a team trades a guy and gives up on him like that, they're they're not just judging him by his game performances. And he only had four games starting as a quarterback, you know, they, they started using him as a gadget quarterback right in his rookie year. His first yeah, game, he went, yeah. you know, he threw for a touchdown, then he ran for one in his next game. Um, but I think Dallas is looking at two years down the line. They've got him for two years. Reasonable. This year, he costs them less than a million, less than Sam Hartman costs Notre Dame to play for them. Mm. Um, <laughs> next year's next year's 5 million. Uh, which is still reasonable if he's their number two guy, you know, but and both a rush, rounder that it cost him, of course. Yeah. But a fourth rounder is, you know, is for rushes on a two year deal. Prescott has an out in his deal after two years. And I was thinking it's one of the times they can get, they can get out of the deal without killing themselves on, on dead cap. So you're basically looking at that two year window. If he can establish himself as a number two, that would be fine if he could be a threat to Prescott. It would give them a little bit of leverage, you know, and save and probably a money saving option. How much I loved him in college, but he in college he was a 19-year-old redshirt freshman. Mm. And they went 16 to 0, but it was in FCS, a heavy RPO offense. 
I loved him though. I thought he was really good. He's barely played since then. One game in college, you know, bits and pieces, injuries and stuff like that. So the the fans of Lance can make that argument that he hasn't really had a good shot. But you, you have to remember that the team that traded him watches him every day. You know, they they watch his practice tape. They know, and and it's better for them to make the decision that we're he's not our future and get something for him. And I thought a fourth round was more than they would get. Um, and from Dallas's point of view, why not? You know, they probably loved the guy coming out of college as well and didn't, but didn't have a shot at him. So, okay, he's still the same guy um, as he was coming out of college. Can we work with him? Mike McCarthy, he knows about that because Aaron Rodgers was there, you know, when Favre, when Favre was there. Right. So, you know, if he says, Great okay, I, I can work with, I can work with this guy. We can, we can, you know, build him into our system, build him up in our system. And there's no pressure on him now. There was huge pressure on him in San Francisco part, you know, rivalry with Jimmy G uh, in the outsider's mind. I don't, you know, I, I don't, you know, first round pick third overall, well, you know, had to succeed well, to get him as well. Third overall, yeah. it was had, be yeah. and, and that was the crazy part. You know, I, I can't, I just can't see that being justified. Mm. Um, and, I couldn't see it being justified if it was Mac Jones they had drafted. Mm. But but when they made the trade, it was before the the sort of draft panned out, you know, before um, decisions were being made. You know, if I remember right, they might have even been before the combine. Mm. Um, and um, so so I think it's it's basically it's not win win for both teams, but it's not a loss for either team. You know, there's mm. potential. There's a potential win for Dallas. And the Niners probably did the best they could. And getting out of the situations is probably worth it for them as well. It, it, clarif the, um, it clarifies things. The art of the deal, too, by Mike Carlson. It's not win-win, but it's not lose-lose. Yeah. <laughs> well, it. you know, the NFL is always a zero-sum game. Yeah, people well, refuse, fans, for fans especially, people refuse to, you know, to accept that. And fans, as general managers, think that they're the, you know, they're playing their fantasy games. Mm. You know, and it's not it's not like that. You know, there's lots of other things you have to consider when you're bringing a player into a team or cutting a player from a team, you know, besides just the statistical load that he carries. Uh, I'm going to wrap up with a question from Ollie Samkin. Well, he's got two, actually. You'll like the second part of it, or the second question he fired into. But I'm going to throw that in uh, to, to officially wrap. But the. Uh, the precursor to that is as a Bears fan, asks Ollie, can I be optimistic Thoughts on this? He says eight and nine final record while being in the playoff hunt heading into week 18. I mean, that'd be a good season for the Bears. Ah, being in the it would be a great season for the Bears. I When I did my preview of them, I predicted them for six wins Ooh, um, okay. yeah. because the over-under, I think, was 5-5 five, five or something like that. Six wins doubles last year's total. So that would be a step forward. Sure. Not a great step forward. They're they're possible. They're they're capable of winning nine games. Um, yeah, because of that, I, I think you said earlier. I think seven or eight would be the success for them. Yeah. Um, you know, in in that division, they could pick up. There, there will be games where they can and pick up wins. Like Green Bay, schedule wise, they have got um, a, a fairly easy ride of as yeah. much as you can in the NFL, yeah. right? So yeah, I mean, look at the game last year. They they they, they beat New England in New England, mm. and they beat San Francisco. The crazy Chicago, rain game, wasn't it? The, yeah, the yeah, crazy yeah. rain game, yeah, where everybody blamed Trey, Ram Trey Lance Trey Lance, for not yeah, being yeah. able to play in the rain. Played a, you know? played a so, so, you know, they can beat they can beat good teams, mm. pars partly because Fields is an unpredictable talent. Yeah. Um, and I've had this discussion many times with you and other people, but, you know, 
you it's like boom and bust runners, you know, and Barry Sanders is the exception that kind of proves you, you'd rather have a guy who gains four or five yards every every carry than have a guy who gains zero to minus one to plus 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because And with quarterbacks, it's even more so because a quarterback who can break off the big runs, occasionally throw the really beautiful deep pass and stuff is great. But you face so many plays where something goes wrong and it's third and seven, you need eight or nine yards and your guy can't mm. deliver that consistently. Yeah. And that was my old thing with Michael Vick. Um, it is now, and there's lots of guys like that around the league. What you're looking for is consistency because that's what will win you in the end more games than, than the extreme flair, mm. you know, and Andy Reed understood that and Vic had his best years under Andy Reed because he tried sure. to keep, keep him out of those situations sure. as much as possible. Well, Alex um, Smith is, I guess, the, the, was the prototype of that kind of quarterback, right? Yeah. I love that the football outsiders came up with a statistic called Alex, which is air yards less than expected. It's a way, it was a way of factoring in when it's third and 10 and you gain nine yards on the pass. And the, the stats give you credit for a nine yard gain, but they needed something that would take away the credit for not getting the first down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very um, clever. Here's Ollie's last, um, uh, second question, our last of the show. It's uh, my wife's first NFL game, says Ollie, and it's going to be Jags Falcons in London next right. month how would you recommend planning our day asks ollie <laughs> lots of drinking <laughs> well that's a good start usually why if i as 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 bluto, as bluto said the flounder in animal house my advice is to start drinking heavily <laughs> <laughs> the day of the game for sure yeah all just the, don't all the, rodney, um, the rodney dangerfield line in back to school where he says Bring us a pitcher of beer every eight minutes till one of us passes out. And make it every five minutes. Let's do that at the Green Man. <laughs> Let's pub. do that. One yeah. last point, I think that we we're going to get to um, again. Back to uh, Skip and uh, Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman was having a big argument with Keyshawn and Michael Irvin, mm. which is the harder position to play, defensive back or wide receiver. And the two guys got up and walked off the set, and then walked <laughs> walked back on, and. I want. I wanted to be there, although I can't scream loud enough to even have my like, like have my, vo <laughs> my voice heard. But you know, I Richard Sherman was saying, you know, you have to play every play when you're a cornerback. Um, you know, you where you're a receiver, you take plays off, you get you get subbed out. Now that may be true for the best guys, but the best wide receivers block. Mm. You know, there are a lot of good blocking wide receivers on teams that use them. You know quarterbacks get subbed in or out situationally. Sure. So we're not a Richard Sherman, but lots of other quarterbacks. Yeah, shut down know, corner, no. Play, yeah, play, sure. play, play nickel and stuff like that. Um, but, and and you can argue back and forth about the rule changes, which make holding and pass interference legal nowadays. Um, helping part of a corner to defend. Receivers. Yeah. Helping yeah well, no, it's easier than for corners to defend, I'd argue, because mm -hmm. you can get your hands in there as long as you're, quote unquote, not gaining an unfair advantage. And my argument is always, how can the advantage not be unfair? Because the difference between cornerbacks and wide receivers is the wide receiver has to catch the ball. The cornerback only has to stop him from catching mm -hmm. it. So all he has to do is hit the arm, you know, push him out of bounds, knock him hard before he comes to the ground, whatever. And he's won, he's won the battle. Now, I know the difference is a if a wide receiver drops a ball or something like that, 
everybody kind of forgets it unless it becomes habitual. If a quarterback gets beaten for a touchdown, he's like mm-hmm. the guy. He's, he's like yeah. the guy in everybody's sights. It, so I, the, you know, the pressure is that way. Goalkeeper yeah. situation for sure. Yeah. And absolutely. Massive. But also, just on that, on that, I take your point in terms of the imbalance, maybe. But at the same time, we see a lot of plays where quarterbacks just hurling it up knowing that trying to draw the flag basically yeah you know? yeah that, that's a difficult thing for a corner to contend with the receiver doesn't have to really do well anything. yeah it, it is and, and you know the classic thing is you underthrow the guy and then as yeah. you come back you 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 almost draw an automatic but i was watching um shadur shadur sanders playing for colorado when they they upset tcu and the first two he threw two long passes that weren't touchdowns, but on both of them, JT O'Sullivan has a nice website about quarterbacking, former Frankfurt Galaxy quarterback who played in the NFL as a backup for bills, a long time. The bills for bills, yeah, and because he's a smart guy. He was a smart guy then. And um, he didn't mention it, so I sent a, a message just saying, what about the interference? Because on one, the guy's beaten from behind, and when the receiver looks back, he tackles it basically. And on the other, he puts his hand on the guy's arm and pulls it away. A similar kind of situation. And in both of those, there was no flag. And to me, each one was, is clear interference. Mm. But, you know, but the officials probably thinking, well, they're just, it's hand fighting. It's, you know, they both going for the ball, you know, whatever. And I, I don't like that. So, mm. you know, I think there's hills, there's swings and roundabouts on the, on the interference and holding rules. Um, lots of receivers get away with lots of push-offs nowadays, Michael Irvin specials, which, you know, Michael Irvin used to get away with, but they wouldn't let any other guys do it. There is a superstar exam- exemption. Yeah, no no but, doubt. You know, no there doubt. always is. Yeah. And you see it, you see the smart players and, you know, Sherman's amongst them. I remember uh, from watching him play certain quarterbacks, Brady was always a master at this, of just getting the officials on side, bit of a joke with them, making them feel like a million dollars. And yeah, yeah. you get the Ask him a question, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and sure, you know, but but Pete Carroll's defense, the, the, the Legion of uh, Boom defense was pretty much based on Sherman and Brandon Browning, who was even more so than Sherman. They weren't fast, but they were tall. They had long arms, long legs, long strides. So if you put them as outside corners and the other team, and you force the receiver toward the sideline where he has less room to operate. Now the sideline is taking away half of him. All you have to do is take away the other half. So Sherman and Browner would run along. They'd get their hand on you without gaining an unfair advantage to keep in touch. But because they were so long, once the ball was in the air, they could use that hand to catch up. And once the receiver's arms moved or eyes moved to go for the ball, that hand the, the the following hand would be in there between his hands on his body you know in his face mm-hmm. all kind of borderline legal if mm-hmm. you're not touching but you know but basically just messing up the throw yeah and it, it was i mean they sherman in particular did it brilliantly both guys were great run you know uh, edge setters again uh on the run but that's an anomaly that you know some guys can take advantage of and some guys some guys some can't guys yeah yeah brilliant stuff carlson uh a fine way to wrap speaking up. of anomalies <laughs> yeah hey listen we're rolling this week we got uh, ffs coming the first of the season that's uh dropping wednesday me and propo with edge rush friday of course with week one looming interview and then iron mike each and every monday it's mike mondays all through the season so we'll be back this time next week to pick through the bones of week one. Cannot wait, Cuss. Yeah.
Those are some bones. <laughs> Look up, you said my Them bones, them bones, them bones, them it's skin how you and follow bones. him on Twitter. Uh, and as he mentioned, only five or six times during, during the course of the show. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson FMTE. But the stylings and profilings. Great stuff, bud. Look after yourself. Okay, you too, mate. Lovely stuff from Iron Mike. Uh, I am back on Wednesday with Ben. Next episode dropping on Wednesday. And that, of course, includes FFS. We're getting our DraftKings Listener League fired up. You can enter for free. Just use the link in the show notes or use the promo code NCSHOW. And it'll take you to the Listener League. Free to enter competitions. We've got some very exciting news about those competitions as well, which we're going to drop on the Wednesday show. So make sure you tune in for that. The way we're going to roll FFS, very much picking our show team for that week's contest. And the guru is going to be on hand as well to give the official show team. So he's going to have, well, the one, the endorsed one, the one you really want to follow and pay attention to. Ben and I will be doing a bit of previewing a football chat and putting our own team together as well, all in the name of charity. We're going to try and raise as much money as we can for our charity of choice, which is Shelter. And of course, uh, all the natisms, uh, propos, keeping tabs on and uh, more money in the tank for those uh, as and when I drop. You like, get out of Dodge. There you go. There's five pounds straight in the kitty. Uh, so that is Wednesday. And speaking of propo, Edge Rush Friday. Very excited about that as well. Make sure you lock and load. Got some brilliant guests coming up over the course of the first few weeks of the season. One last thing, one last bit of housekeeping. We're going to be pushing out a lot more video this season than ever before on our social channels, uh, our established social channels, sure. But we've also launched YouTube. Get on over to YouTube because there's going to be extra bonus content from the show on YouTube. You can subscribe to it through the link also in the show notes. Head on over the NC show if you just want to search it straight out. YouTube the NC show or follow the link in our show notes. Go subscribe, show support to us. We appreciate it massively. We'll see you Wednesday with Ben. Bye for now. Podcast Network.